0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. And thanks to Brian Kelly for passing the baton from his great show onto the Garden Hotline. And we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly have any questions, concerns, or comments? Speaking of comments, I got home and my phone was flashing. There was a message there. Somebody called and said, last week, you, Mike, said that oak leaf hydrangea flowers on old wood. No, it flowers on new wood. So, in other words, it flowers later in the season. So, anyway, thanks to whoever. I don't know who it was that actually called, but she was concerned enough. I guess she is an oak leaf hydrangea person. So thanks again, and uh, if you do have any questions, comments, or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We get together on these Saturday mornings, and we can discuss your yard or your neighbor's yard like, my neighbor's zoysia grass keeps creeping underneath the fence, and it's ruining my fescue. Or your landscape, your garden, how about your house plants? How are they doing? Oh, they've been inside for a couple months now. Hmm, Maybe not so good. Maybe they're doing great. Uh, potting mixes versus potting soils. Soil improvements. Pruning bugs. Not potting mixes. Yes. Pruning. Yes, you can prune if you want to this time of year. Bugs, diseases, plants, and how to remove them, how to plant them and the availability of all those kind of things. Remember, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take work on your part, both physical and mental. Gardening is a great marathon, whether you have a single plant sitting on an end table in your living room or you have a yard full of stuff, it doesn't matter. It's a marathon. It goes on and on and on and on. It's a never-ending marathon, actually. So this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. Thanks to Brian. Brian, no, it's not Brian producing. Brian doesn't produce. Greg produces. And he's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. Written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. I just finished the article for the May-June issue. That shows you how far ahead I have to submit those articles. I won't tell you what it's about. But anyway. You can just go to the Missouri Gardener Magazine. My articles are always on the last page of the magazine. Hmm, I was wondering about that. Why am I the last page? But anyway, during the week, I do what I call a walk and talk, which is a landscape consultation. Today after the show, I'm headed to Frontenac off Conway Road. And uh, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Boy, it's still so dark early in the morning when I start off. I turn down an alley, and to my surprise, a new pavilion. It was covered with giant butterflies. Not quite as big as some of the other butterflies, but on the site. But uh, boy, oh boy, it was, I didn't know what was going on here. And uh, also there was uh, the butterflies were all over the place. They were cutouts from the upright post supports. And there were some just kind of on the eaves of the roof and everything else. As I stepped out of my car, I could hear the babbling brook. And that's always such a great sound hearing running water. And uh, there was a sign as I passed uh, heading out into, I'm not going to say where I was yet, but it announces someone has handmade a beehive and uh Done it with uh, like wood and various things. It's not on this stand yet, but there's a, si- uh, a sign announcing the gentleman did it for his wife. So where is this? Well, this is Brightside, St. Louis. It's the intersection of Kings Highway and Southwest, where Southwest becomes Vandeventer, and uh, there is a bald cypress tree as I walked into the grounds as well. And it says, this tree pays us blank dollars back. So, in other words, this tree really helps clear the environment, clean the environment up. And there was a giant, I went underneath, a giant, huge, I should say, monarch butterfly. And there's a caterpillar hanging around, too. The winding pathway with boulder steps and boulder edging for the beds goes past a glade garden, a prairie garden, all the plantings there, and uh, down into the woodland forest. Massive sunflowers and with benches surrounding the circular patio. And the pathway, inside the pathway, there are pavers, which lists many of the major contributors to Brightside St. Louis. Rain barrels on the backside of the fence, as I headed back towards my car, say we collect water off the roof and we're going to be using that to water our plants. And that, those rain barrels are right behind a redbud tree. Uh, it was so much going on in this relatively small space. You'll have to stop by if you've not done it before. Or if you have done it before, stop by anyway. Things are kind of dormant this time of year. There's no getting around it, the ornamental grasses and everything else. But still, it's just kind of nice to walk through. It's uh, you know, kind of an oasis out in the middle of, I shouldn't say in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of a major intersection. So uh, stop by and enjoy Brightside St. Louis. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis
1: Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Every day, every couple days a week, I walk down from our home near Christie Park, down to the Snooks at Hampton and Gravoy. And, uh, you know, as I'm walking along, I'm checking this, that, and everything else. I go down the Greenway, and, boy, the chickweed really got damaged. Chickweed is one of those weeds that is a cool-season weed. So, in other words, it grows, doesn't it? Does it? Does Is it a cool-season weed? Well, if I'm wrong, then somebody please leave a message on my phone. But, anyway, the chickweed's out there. It's growing, but that cold weather really scorched a lot of the foliage, but uh, this those weeds that are cool season weeds, they can take it. So it's gonna look like kind of, oh, but it's gonna start flowering really soon and it's gonna start dropping those seeds and those seeds are gonna lay there all the way until next August. But there are warm season weeds like crabgrass and things like that and speed well, type of speed well, that are just laying there waiting. Please get warmer. Please get warmer. Please get warmer. And they're going to explode. So get your pre-emergence ready, at least scheduled or however. Buy the product if you're going to put them down yourself because you're going to be putting it down relatively soon. So as soon as you start to see the yellow forsythia blooming, that's when the pre-emergent goes down to get rid of the warm season weeds. So there's two different kinds of weeds. So we always used to lump them together. Why? I don't know. It was all of a sudden, hmm. This doesn't make sense to think, I got really a major weed problem, but I put pre-emergence down. Well, the pre-emergence you put down didn't have any impact on those seeds because they weren't germinating. And pre-emergence does impact lawn seed germination. Somebody sent me an email saying, uh, lawn service put some seed down and now they're wanting to put a pre-emergence down. And they put the seed down a while ago, not much of it germinated. So my assumption was the seed is just going to lay there for a while and maybe germinate. But you put the pre-emergent down, the lawn seed will get killed too. So it's not selective on the kind of seeds it kills. Let's go to Wentzville, and that's where Big Al lives. Hi, Big Al.
3: Hi, Mike. Uh, Is it true that uh, grub worms do not uh, bother fescue lawns?
2: Uh, Basically, they go and do major damage to bluegrass. They may do a little bit of damage to fescues, but for the most part, fescue has a really tense and dense root system, same with zoysia, so it's bluegrass that's really impacted by grubs.
4: Okay, well, thank you very much.
2: Certainly, and that's not to say there won't be a little damage, but it's not going to be devastating like it is to bluegrass. So thanks, Al, and now let's go from Wentzville to Chester, Illinois, and see what's going on with Steve. Hi, Steve.
1: Hi there. How you doing?
2: Good.
0: Hey,
3: I have an oleander tree I've had a couple, three years, and this winter, like right now, the leaves on it are just kind of like folding up. Is that too much water or not enough water?
2: My guess is oleander really likes it dry. They use the oleander a lot in California along the highways where virtually in those parts of California there's very little rain. So if you've been watering on a routine or regular basis, even though the plant is three years old, the root system may be diminished. But if the leaves are folding up, that usually kind of indicates root problem, and that's not a good sign. And my thought is probably it is going to be a circumstance where it's been overwatered.
3: watered Okay. Because so
2: usually underwatering out. is going to wilt, not fold.
3: Okay. So just... Let it dry out then more or less.
2: Yeah, and keep your fingers crossed because a lot of times if the root system's been damaged by overwatering it's not able to recover.
1: Oh, so, okay, okay. What you well, could
2: we'll do just... is pull it out of the pot and I don't know how big of the pot, maybe it's a two gallon, maybe it's a five gallon or whatever and just shake a lot of that potting mix that's on it off and then okay. get some other potting mix, not potting soil and put it in there and don't water it and see what you know see if it can kind of help the recovery.
3: Okay, great. Well, thank you much
2: then. Yep, thanks, Steve. And now let's go to Overland. And Kathy, how are you today?
5: Very good, thank you. I have a question. I, have, I know you said that wild honeysuckle helps erosion. Now, I have two big plants like that in my backyard, and, and I can keep whittling on them because they do get kind of wild. But I, think, I do have a, a hill in my backyard. It's working real well with. But half of the plant has died. And I want to plant something else. I want to say a tree, but what's something I can plant up to help that erosion?
2: Well, I mean, honeysuckle doesn't help erosion. Honeysuckle just, if they're growing there and you take the honeysuckle out, then you're setting up a scenario where erosion could occur, you know, yeah, on that's, a slope.
5: That's what, I, that's what I meant to say. Okay. I'm a little nervous. Right, that's okay. <laughs> and, and I don't want to do any more digging or any more retaining walls i did that once it was oof that took me a month to do but i did it all by <laughs> myself i don't want to do that again so um what can i plant there it's okay if it's at least 10 to 15 feet high
2: okay so yeah. i mean is this a slope is this in the sun is this in the oh, yeah, shade good
5: way to put it it is a slope
2: so it's slope
5: slope down to my neighbor's yard and, and and go ahead
2: oh and also is it in the sun or is it in the shade i'm facing the south okay so and it's full sun all day long every day
5: uh, uh huh. Pretty much.
2: Yep. Uh, you could. You can. Uh, how much of a space are you looking for? You're just looking for a single plant worth? Or are you looking for you know a grouping?
5: Probably a probably a couple single plants. Probably a couple single plants. I was thinking about just like a, a small or two ornamental trees. A couple ornamental trees.
2: Well, you could use the. Like I mean, the Japanese maple would work. That could you know is certainly one option or one possibility. You could and even use.
5: I'm sorry, do you say that because the root system really holds well? It's going to stop the erosion, sir?
2: Yeah, maples, you know, maples just in general have surface roots. So, and so the the size and everything else is going to be probably more, you know, in line with what you're really looking at. There's also, uh, if you want something evergreen, I mean, you could even use just a regular type of, let's say, spreading yew, which is not a tree, it's an evergreen. Yeah, see, I thought about that, and that's a real good idea. And because they, I mean, they have surface roots as well. So, as long Did as you, the area is drained, you know, water doesn't sit around it or anything else, I'd probably do a combination just because they're both kind of from the same part of the world mm-hmm. Japanese maple, either red leafed one or a green leafed one, and then maybe a couple spreading ewes.
5: Oh, I like that idea. Thank you so much. I need some privacy too. That's perfect, Mike. Thank you so much. Well, great.
2: Glad I could help.
5: Okay. Okay, bye-bye now.
2: Sure, see ya. Yeah, I mean, when you're de- trying to make a decision on taking stuff out, that's, you know, as I said before, it's really related to the fact that a house I owned in Webster, we were right on a creek. This creek, small creek, ran down and actually ran into Deer Creek, you know, further down the hill, obviously. But I started taking the honeysuckle out, and then immediately, and this was way before, no, it was a long time ago, but anyway, I, all of a sudden I started seeing that there was some ro- erosion. I thought, uh-oh. So then that's when I went and bought Euonymus winter creeper, and that's the one that's very invasive that many people are frightened of and everything else. But I thought this is going to establish itself really quick. I bought flats, and I didn't separate all the plants in the flats. I just pulled all the plants out at once and just kind of stuck them in and try to st- establish a non-erosion circumstance. So then I had to sort of sequence taking the honeysuckle out and putting the winter creeper in. Now, I haven't been, you know, I've been by the house, you know, sometimes because I've had, let's say, walk and talks in Webster, but I wasn't able to go back behind the house and that's where the winter creeper was. You know, I'm curious to see if it's still there, if it's still stabilizing, if somebody realizes, oh, this nut who thinks he knows what he's doing, you know, put in this winter creeper. But you got to have, if you've got an erosion problem, you got to do something kind of relatively quickly. And so that's kind of what I chose to do. And now let's go to Maryville, Illinois, and see what's going on with Joe. Hi, Joe.
4: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I got some trees and large shrubs in the backyard, and I want to kind of put some, some sort of border around them. And I have a pile of limestone rock, I mean, chips, you know, construction-grade stuff. Mm-hmm. It seems that I've heard that limestone shouldn't be put around plants, and I want to ask your opinion. Would it hurt those trees and shrubs if I, you know, put down the plastic border and then uh, four or five feet out from the tree just, just put this white these white limestone chips in there for a decoration?
2: Well, first of all, don't use plastic because that could be more damage than anything, use landscape fabric. Plastic, you know, holds too much moisture. It can be really problematic no matter where it is in your landscape. So plastic is out. Landscape fabrics are more expensive, but it allows air and water in and out. So that's really important. So your ground, whatever the reason that you're putting it down, can still breathe. And it depends upon what kind of, you know, what type of trees or shrubs. Certain ones, like lilacs, they like an alkaline soil. So, in other words, limestone is alkaline. So, when you put lime down on anything, you're saying my soil is too acidic. So, consequently, I'm going to make it more alkaline. So, it depends upon the individual plants that you're putting this around. It could have an adverse effect. It won't be immediate by any means, but it will slowly but surely could change the soil pH, lead to the decline of your tree just in general. And a lot of times client, you know, if the soil pH is too high around certain things, you'll start to notice that the leaves, maybe the veins are still green, but the actual in, in between the veins will start to turn a more or less chartreuse, a yellowish green. So, but it's going to take a little while before that actually happens.
4: Yeah, these are just the rocks. It's not the, you know, the grade eight, it's not with the limestone dust. This is a, just a, you it doesn't know, matter. Inch rocks.
2: Yeah, it'll still dissolve. Really? Yeah, I mean, you, you won't notice it. You won't go out there. Oh, what happened to all my rocks? But slowly but surely, it just leaches some into the ground due to rain, due to if you water or anything else.
4: Well, I got some of those. I think they call them a flaming red bush or something. They get real red in the fall. Yeah, a burning bush. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's probably you know it's pretty versatile. That's why you see it a lot in parking lots. So I can take, in other words, when they put you put it in a parking lot. Then the chances it might get salt spray because somebody's put brine down, you know, as a deicer. So that one, you know, they should be okay.
4: Okay, yeah, it's kind of a poor man's uh, marble chips, I guess. <laughs>
2: But, uh, <laughs> if it's marble, it's different. If it's limestone, yeah. just realize that you know not only right around the plants where it is, but it can leach into the soil. It can run, you know, across the surface. So if you have other lawn, you have ground covers that are broadleaf ground covers like periwinkle or ivy or things like that. They could be impacted by this, you know, changing the soil pH.
4: But as far as a tree or a heavy shrub, it it probably is going to be minimal.
2: Yeah, over I don't know. You know, it's not going to happen overnight by any means. It's going to take it a couple years, but it could certainly lead to the to the decline. What you could do is just get a soil test done now, find out what the soil pH is in this area, and then every couple years just get a soil test done to see if the soil pH, so in other words it's getting more alkaline. So in other words, 7 is neutral, below 7 is acidic, above 7 is uh Let's say below seven is acidic, and then above seven is alkaline.
4: Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'll, I'm writing this down. I may do that too. See, I got one other question here. If I can, I live next to a woods, and in the evening the rabbits come out and eat, you know, things out of the yard. Sure. And uh, I was always wondering if I put a broadleaf killer, or pre-emergent, or any of these other. Uh,
2: herbicides
4: pesticides herbicides right. fungicides will that kill the animals that eat the plants uh
2: probably wouldn't but uh what that's going to mean is that they may go to somebody else's yard because you've killed the broadleaf weeds but they're still going to eat other stuff i mean you
4: but i wouldn't be killing the rabbit population generally like,
2: not i mean i'm not going to say that it wouldn't you know possibly happen but for the most part herbicides should not have an impact on anything you know animal wise that's, i mean sure there's probably going to be cases where it has, but for the most part, it does not.
4: Okay, I always wondered about that.
2: Thank you. Yep, good luck. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120 if you have questions, comments, or concerns. I'm going to go back a little bit to the weed circumstance. And uh, basically, you know, if you don't have a forsythia in your yard or you don't know, you know, you don't know where a forsythia is close by, what you can do is just go to your favorite garden center and get a soil thermometer and just Probably can't probe it into the ground yet because the ground is probably still frozen. Even though we've had some warm days, I think the ground's still frozen. But when the ground starts warming up, you can take this soil thermometer, you stick it into the ground, and you read the temperature. When the temperature starts getting above 45, then that's when you better be ready to put the pre-emergent down. When it gets to 55, you can anticipate already weed seeds germinating not all of them are going to germinate all at once Just like kaboom it's not going to happen it's like not, not like a bag of popcorn or something but this is what really you know happens so if you're serious about getting the weeds under control and you want it and you know you've had some annual weeds then and i mean warm season weeds then this is what you should do is just get a soil thermometer. They're not that expensive. And just every few days, just go out there and you know stick it into the ground multiple places, south side of your house, north side of your house, east side, west side, in the shade, in the sun, and just kind of monitor. And you know that way you're going to at least get it close to the timing of getting the pre-emergent down. You're probably never going to get a pre-emergent down exactly at the right time, but – this is what is the best you know, impact or approach, like I said, if you don't know what the forsythia looks like or whatever it happens to be. And if a, you see a forsythia along a road and it's not any place close to your house, then that doesn't matter because there's so many different, let's say, climatic zones within even the city like this or any city. Exposure, all that different stuff is going to make a big, big difference on what Goes on your house plants. If, if your if your house plants are starting to look a little funky, then you know. I mean, we still have like four, three or four plus months that they have to stay inside. So you can make a you know the decision now. You can fool around with them if you want to, but uh, it might be just easier to kind of give them the toss. But if it's one that you have been sentimental of, about, then consequently you're probably going to want to keep it around. I have actually two plants that when I first moved back from California, my great aunt, Aunt Cleo, who lived down in the South City, actually fairly near where I end up living right now, and uh, she got this this plant, and it's called Clivia, C-L-I-V-I-A, and it flowers, it's great, it's evergreen, and I've... (laughs) Unfortunately, it keeps growing and growing and growing. I got them in two pots now, and probably the pots are much heavier than what a sixty-eight-year-old dude like me should be lifting and carrying down into the basement. But uh, you know, I continue to do it, and then when they're in the basement, I have them underneath grow lights. So if there's and they still look very healthy, sometimes I think I've probably tried to torture them a little bit as I migrate them back towards the basement steps, the outside steps. The other, this past year, I set them out in the sun just for one day, which I thought, ah, you know, who cares one day. But they did sunburn quite a bit of the foliage. But uh, other things like, uh, you know, how about your Christmas cactus and your amaryllis bulbs? Have they bloomed yet? Are they, you know, starting to grow if you haven't even started to water them? You know, soil temperature, potting mix temperature, all that stuff makes a big difference. The ones that I've had for a couple years, I have them in my office on top of a shelf, which is near the heat vent for the furnace, and just now they're starting to break dormancy. So I like to have some of my stuff like, you know, the amaryllis bloom kind of out of sequence. I did notice the other day I have bulbs planted in all kinds of different pots, And I have some in the ground, but for the most part, they're in pots. Some of the daffodil foliage is starting to push up out of the, you know, it's in a window box, kind of. It's a bigger window box, not a classic window box. But it's probably about an inch long. Now, that's not going to really hurt the flowering or anything else. But what that's going to do is just make it so the tips of the leaves are going to be burnt a little bit due to the cold. And it just shows you, this is on the north side of my house. They're on the front steps going up to my front door. And that's an area where snow, ice, and everything else, that's the last you know, spot it ever melts. So I thought, well, you know, this will be cold enough and it's not going to be impactful. But it just shows you how even though there was snow slash ice on, let's say, the ground, the ground covers that are on each side of the walkway going up, the, actually the pavement you know, warms up. And so consequently, that warming pavement, even though there was not that much direct sun hitting it, warmed up the potting mix enough that it caused some of these daffodils to start pushing, you know, foliage growth. So there's not too much else you can, you know, you can do. I mean, you can't stop it. Just realize it doesn't impact the flowering. It's strictly the tips of your daffodil plants, and then what happens after the daffodils finish blooming, I usually just, you know, I sneak out into the park and sometimes I plant them out in the park across the street. Sometimes I just kind of give them away. I set the pots, you know, I put them in different pots and just set them out in the alley. And sometimes I just recycle them, you know, in the yard waste dumpsters. So there's all kinds of different things with the house plants. The days are getting a little bit longer, but not dramatically longer. So don't rush and start fertilizing your houseplants yet. But wait, unless they're in flower, then you're going to fertilize them. But the normal, let's say, if you have a fiddle leaf fig, if you have a calla lily, if you have a philodendron, if you have, let's say, a hibiscus plant, a mandevilla vine, or anything else, don't fertilize yet. The day it's just you know the plants don't want to be forced. They're still in their sort of dormant sleeping stage. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you happen to get a tree, you know, a live tree that was cut for a Christmas tree and you haven't recycled it yet or anything, it's just kind of laying back behind the house, pull it away a little bit and, you know, you'll be surprised how many birds love to hang out in there. We have a mugo pine right outside our kitchen window. And, man, the chickadees, I mean, every day, because right above this mugo pine is a sugar maple. And the sugar maples this past year produced so many seeds. It's been absolutely unbelievable. There's still a lot of them hanging on the tree, but a lot of them have already fallen. And the the chickadees come, and they are, they bounce all over through the mugo pine. Because a lot of the seeds will drop from the sugar maple and hang up on the, let's say, conifer needles of the mugo pine. And then some are going to be on the ground, too. So they're constantly out there just, you know, checking out. And that's what you can kind of do with a live Christmas tree, live cut Christmas tree, and just, you know, kind of create an environment where the birds will like it. So. I mean, it's it makes good sense to do that, and then finally, at the end, you can actually do uh, a recycling of it. I know the city throws a lot of them into ponds, like at Cronulla Park and places like that, and it's for fish hatcheries and you know. So it's there's all kinds of uses besides just taking them out to yard waste dumpster for your Christmas trees. I know Christmas was a long time ago, except Tracy loves Christmas lights, so we still have some up. Now, they're not technically Christmas, tech, but they're still very, part of our house is still pretty lit up. Bill lives in St. Charles. Bill, how are you today?
3: I'm doing fine, Mike. Hey, listen, thanks. I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. I uh, listen to you every week whenever you're on. And you're very informative. I got, I got a it. quick question for you. I usually do pretty well with my poinsettia plant that I get every year. For some reason, and I keep that plant all the way till June, for some reason this year that plant looks kind of peaked looking. Is there something that maybe I could do to enhance this thing?
2: Well, if you're getting one every year and you've had good luck with it, my guess is it probably wasn't all that healthy when you got it, even if it looked healthy. But by now, if you're doing the normal routine of watering and everything else, then, you know. You know, the plant was, you know, the root system of the plant wasn't exactly adequate to support the above ground growth. Now fertilizing, you might want to try it a little bit. Try a little bit of fertilizer, but if you do have some house house plant food, it doesn't. Have, it could be Peters, it could be Scotts. It doesn't matter what it is, but just put a little bit, you know, on it. So just uh-huh. try that and see if that's going to make a difference. And I'm assuming you're setting it where you always have historically set the plants, so it's not like you're putting them in a new location and there's not enough light or something along that
3: line. Uh, it's in the same place. It's been every year for right. years.
2: So I'm guessing it was... I kind
3: of take pride in race, taking this thing, keeping it going, you know.
2: (laughs) Right.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, listen. Thanks for uh, again for taking my call and have a good day. Yeah, you
2: do the very same thing. But yeah, it's amazing because it's difficult to tell, especially with something like poinsettias. They're always in pots and they always have plastic wrap around them and everything else. So you can't really tell exactly, you know, how the plant is from a health standpoint. And you know, that's nothing against wherever it was purchased or anything along that line. It's just sometimes plants, even though when they're coming out of a greenhouse. You know They look as fine as possible, but uh, you know when you get them into a home, some of them are going to react a little different than others, and especially if they don't have a root system. But if, a, if you were new as far as that goes, that would be a very different story. But if you've had a history of growing the poinsettias after Christmas for six months, then that means to me the plant wasn't in ideal shape. Joe lives in St. Louis. Joe, how are you today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, I was calling Mike. I have a place out in the country i was wanting to plant some
2: Joe, you kind of cut out
1: oh i'm sorry can you hear me
2: yeah go ahead
1: okay i'm sorry uh i have a place in the country and i was wanting to plant some bald cypress trees i have a small lake out there how early would it be okay to plant these trees i was hoping to do it this spring sometime
2: yeah as soon as they're available oh okay so when the garden centers start carrying them then you should be able to plant them
1: Okay, great. And, uh,
2: and if you want kind of a natural setting, maybe get some different sizes.
1: Okay, that sounds like a good idea. Should, um, should I put blend in any compost or anything like that when, when I'm planting these? Would that help them?
2: Well, anytime you do that, but you're probably better off just to dig the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but leave the top of the crown, the top of the root ball, above the surrounding ground, about 10 or 15% of it, that's probably okay. the best thing you can do. Even though bald cypress can take wet soils and everything else, just give that you know give it the advantage of you know while it's getting established that it doesn't have any kind of let's say major problems.
1: Okay, that sounds great. So it sounds like as soon as they're available, I was worried about doing it too early, but I guess as long as I if I can get the trees, it's okay.
2: Yes, right. Because I mean they're going to you know they potentially going to come in earlier than maybe they should be planted, but if you know that's usually it's on the cusp and it shouldn't be problematic from the standpoint. If they're planted properly, put a couple inches of mulch around, the, you know, over the top of the root ball. That's what you really should probably do as well. But putting any compost or anything into the hole, I wouldn't do that necessarily.
1: Okay, sounds great. Well, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate all your information every Saturday morning.
2: Well, thank you for having me on your show. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Now let's go to Alan, and Alan's in Illinois.
1: Hey,
0: Mike. Hey, I got a question about some spireas that I have. I've been using them for a border, and uh, they're about, I'd say, 20 years old, maybe a little older. I put them in myself, but they they were beautiful for years, and they still are. They don't flower nearly as good as they used to. I was wondering if I could cut them back. I mean cut them back drastically without hurting them.
2: Well, if you cut them back drastically, uh, recovery might be a little bit iffy because the root system, you know, needs that's you know, they send nutrients and moisture up through the root system up to where the foliage is, and the foliage then uses sunlight to make food and, you know, keeps the plant healthier. But probably what I would do, rather than cutting them back drastically, I would go through with each shrub. Now, is this the spring-blooming one or is this the summer-blooming one?
0: No, it's spring. In the spring, it blooms, yeah.
2: So I would just go in because, you know, by pruning now, uh, you're cutting off, you know, potentially some flowering. But what I would do is just with each shrub, I'd cut about half the stems coming up out of the ground back to, uh, you know, about a foot or so. I'm assuming this, you know, this is probably, I don't know which variety that you have. It could be snowmount It could be several different types. But half, you know, cut half of it back, the stem back. And half the number on each shrub, and then see what kind of reaction it has as far as you know production wise and everything else. Father, you know, in two thousand nineteen.
0: Yeah. Well, when I put them in, you know, I, I they were real small, just kind of like whips. Almost. Sure. And and I put them about four foot apart, something like. Now they're grown together, you know, like a fence. Right. And the reason I want to cut them back is because. In the spring and in the summer, I notice I get uh, poison ivy comes up through Ooh. them. And i got to get in there and try to cut that out of them, you know. And, man, it's a job to get in there, you know. And it'll be right in the middle of it. There'll be a big stalk of poison ivy will come up through there, you know.
2: Well, the poison yeah. ivy stalks are still there. So if you yeah, can find
0: it, it, it's hard to get to them, though. These are old, these fire is, you know. Right. Uh, and that's why I was wanting to cut them down. You know, I was. They're like probably maybe seven foot tall, some of them, and right. probably fifteen foot around in diameter. And I was wanting to cut them down like close to the ground. I don't know if I can do that without. I don't want to. I
2: don't want to kill them. You know, but well, that's what you know potentially could happen by cutting them back that severely.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So I know well, it's I a real hassle, but. If you can if you know where if you can tell the poison ivy, you know what it looks like because the spirea yeah, yeah, leaf is yeah. really small.
0: Right. It'll look completely different all the way down. I try to get it down as close to the ground as I can. Right I get in there with pruners. You gotta crawl in
2: there. Yeah, don't you know, don't bother pruning poison ivy. Go after it with like a, a roundup for poison ivy woody plant killer. And just take all it and right. paint it right onto the poison ivy leaves.
0: Oh, okay. okay.
2: And that way you don't okay. have to okay. you won't impact the spireas.
0: Sure, sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks
2: a lot. All right. Thanks, Alan, and greatly appreciate it. And if anybody else has any questions for next hour, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And boy, oh boy, isn't it nice to see the sun. They kept talking about, it's going to get cloudy. No, don't let the clouds. Mike Miller, Garden Hotline. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news,